And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Three ah! are United States Astro Robots. They come a creature of death. Oh. And they. We have come here to this planet for. One purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast from Class to Cults and all the cheese in between. The movies are B, but the entertainment is grade A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti, and I'm joined once again by my, my dad, Mr. Al Giaconetti. Hey, Jay. Today we have a really, really good movie. They Live from 1988. Yeah, and we'll get to it right after this. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them, they're everywhere! We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletale. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. They Live opened November 4th, 1988, with a 94-minute running time. You have an estimated budget of $3 million with a box office close to $13 million. So this was a big success, actually, for yeah. that time. Uh, your carpenter, of course, is John, uh, your 
Carpenter. Carpenter. Your director, of course, is John Carpenter. Um, and John Carpenter actually gets, uh, he actually did the screenplay, although he, uh, it's credited to Frank uh, Armitage, which is just John Carpenter. Um, and it's actually based on the story, 8 O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson. Uh, and your stars here are Roddy Piper, Keith David, and Meg Foster. Uh, so Roddy Piper, of course, is, uh, you know, WBF Hall of Famer, uh, Roddy Piper, um, who was the, you know, the villain basically for WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 2 and the boxing match at Mr. T and like whatever. He was one of the greatest talkers of all time. Keith David, not to be confused with David Keith. Keith right. David, of course, is Norris from The Thing. Uh, not Norris, excuse me. He's Childs from The Thing, oh, um, you know, kind of thing. And so, um, and then, of course, Meg Foster. Uh, most people remember Meg Foster uh, for her eyes because she has very distinctive eyes, and those yeah. are her real eyes. Uh, um, you know, fans of this show remember her as Evil Lynn from Masters of the Universe, which Luke and I covered uh, last December. And, of course, she was in a Leviathan she plays the one who's leaving them down there, and then Peter Weller kind of socks in the mouth at the on the, uh, at, the at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, Distributive. Uh, it was um, your production companies are Alive Films and uh, Larry Franco Production. Larry Franco is actually your producer here as well. Now, Larry Franco um, was he's was a second unit director, an actor, stuff like that. Um, he's the he's actually the father of former um, Atlanta Brave player Matt Franco. Uh, kind of so, yeah, back in the day, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and he had a production company, he was a film producer and stuff like that. He was involved with Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, so okay, so the movies you would know him from Escape from New York, he was a, a associate producer, The Thing, he was an associate producer, co producer on Christine. Um, he has uh, uh credits from S- Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Prince of Darkness. They live. Notice the theme on any of these; they're all Carpenter movies. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, Tango and Cash, the original Jumanji, Batman Returns, The Rocketeer, where he was executive producer. Well, Jurassic Carpenter, Park Three. Yeah, Carpenter was was not I don't want to say notorious, but he was very loyal. If he liked the work you did mm-hmm. and you were available, he'd rather you worked with him again because he felt comfortable with the with the, the a family type of uh, atmosphere. Yeah. He also was the first unit first assistant director. On pretty much all those movies I named, too. Also, The Fog in eighty in yeah. nineteen eighty and stuff like that. He was a second a director, the second assistant director on Apocalypse Now. Uh, he worked on Black Sunday back in seventy seven. Like so, he's he was had been around, and um, even though maybe people don't necessarily know Larry Franco's name, he's very involved. Um, and then, so your music here uh, was well, it's John Carpenter, clearly John Carpenter music, and then Alan uh, uh, Howarth um, gets credit as well. Um, and he actually worked on soundtracks, including like Star Trek and uh, Halloween and things like that. Um, but he's known for his working a lot with John Carpenter. Uh, and again, Carpenter has people he likes to work with, and that's what happens. And this movie has a very John Carpenter feel, the very stint feel that he does with his synthesizers and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, Carpenter uh, writes, he tries to write the music for all of his movies. Mm-hmm. The one thing that was noticeable in, in this one is that you know, the distinctive opening, like for Halloween, um, it, 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 this thing has a very distinct opening mm-hmm. sound, but it, it's 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 repeated over and over and over again in all the scenes. There's, there's, in my As I'm listening to this, I, I thought there was very little um, additional music besides this theme in different riffs, but it was but it was the same one. But it works as you watch the movie. Uh, it gets... 
it gets deeper, it gets lighter, and as the as the scenes progress and there's more action, it it just it ramps up. But it's the same notes over and over and over again. Yeah. So uh, they live actually debuted at number one at the box office, which took John Carpenter by uh, major surprise. Also, um, it received a ton of negative reviews yeah. when it first came out. Um, and it was criticizing its social commentary. They said it was, the acting was poor. They, they did not like yeah. Roddy Piper as an actor. Um, they thought the writing was poor. And again, I think part of what happens with any Carpenter movie um, is, again, John Carpenter's movies, uh, you know, nowadays people, if someone said John Carpenter, people are like, oh, I, I know John Carpenter stuff. Yeah, but when, you, when John Carpenter movies opened back in the day, uh, unless you were a genre fan, they were not like, they weren't the name that people were like, Oh, I got to go see this. Like um, it wasn't, it wasn't like, I'm trying to think it wouldn't be like saying like Martin Scorsese or like, you know, yeah. Francis Ford Coppola. Like uh, he it wasn't anticipated. Yeah. It, they were, they were <clears throat> cult movies and they became so much bigger later on. Every one of his movies, even the, the lesser, uh, you know, um, stuff, is all usually revered as a cult movie later on after the fact. And that's yeah. one of the things true here, too. Now, it wasn't, I mean, you would know this better than I, but in 1988, wasn't Piper still a big star? No, he, no, this is when he walked away from wrestling. He walked away. This is one of his one of his retirements. I mean, he's not like Terry Funk, who retired, I think, 17 times. But, like, Piper retired from wrestling at this point. He was going to Hollywood. In fact, they even did his thing where he, this is after he turned face and whatever. He goes, I'm going to Hollywood to make movies. And he thought he was going to be the first oh. of the the cavalcade of wrestlers who were going to go out to Hollywood and make movies. And the one thing Roddy Piper could always do was talk. Um, so unlike the you know aforementioned Terry Funk, Terry Funk was like an over the top right. and a lot and like um, a, a number of different movies where he played kind of a. Uh, he kind of plays a, a cowboy or a heavy and things like because Terry Funk looks like that because Terry Funk, that's who he is. You know, Roddy Piper, you know, he, he was always the Roddy Piper was amazing at getting himself over. He was amazing at, um, he, he went on a streak where he didn't lose for like nine straight years. He never was pinned. And the whole point was he said, cause he would always talk them out of like, well, you don't want to beat me. Let me lose by DQ or let something happen. He can never beat Hogan for the belt, but he never got pinned. And it was he was the reason why the score to sell the score the the the, the score to sell the score the one on on on, on MTV would involve Cindy Lauper and involved yeah. Lou Albano like it was all just media hype and he was really good at doing those things. I mean, I, I would think that I mean, you had said that this would this opened at the at the box office number one number one could it have been because of Piper's following? Well, they definitely hyped the heck. Okay, so remember when Predator was coming out and Jesse yeah. Ventura was still doing announcing, oh, right, and they yeah. hyped the heck out of Predator, right? Well, Predator was going to open number one pretty much anyway because it's a Schwarzenegger movie, movie, right? So they hyped the heck out of Predator. They showed us the same scenes over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, when Piper was coming, he's like, I'm going to make They Live. And they would hype They Live. And like, oh, They Live. It's Roddy Piper. And they would use the wrestling tie-in. Because in 1988, wrestling is still hot. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's not, for those of you who are younger, it's, we're not talking attitude error insane. This is like, yeah. this is WWF, like, you know, kind of wrestling. This is, this is Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and things like that. It's it's older wrestling. This isn't middle fingers in the air and you know half naked women. This is you know Hulk Hogan coming out and you know saying your prayers, eating your vitamins. This is this was big time. Yeah, I mean there was a lot of money to be made. This wasn't the you know the the WWE hype machine we have now. But 
Think about that. So Saturday mornings, WBE, uh, WF was on, Challenge was on, Superstars was on, it was on WR at night. So every single time that was on, every eye saw, they live starting, starting Righty Piper. They would have those commercials during that thing. They would hype it on the show. Yeah. It makes it a little easier to sell it. And let's be honest, is that the in, in, when this opened, it, it didn't actually open against like a you know something you know crazy. Um, the the idea though was the thing. Uh, you know, it opened number one at the box office, making four point eight million during its open weekend. It spent two weeks in the top ten. Um, it was originally supposed to come out October twenty first, nineteen. It was pushed back two weeks to avoid competition with Halloween four: The Return of Michael Myers, um, which this movie is light years better than. Uh, but the idea was that it's it just became something that hit. It hit the right time. It's right after Halloween, you know, kind of thing. It's the fall. There's not a whole lot of big movies coming out. It's before. So nowadays, in the fall, you get a lot of R-rated movies. So R-rated movies, they can come out any time nowadays. But most time, R-rated movies, R-rated uh, genre movies, are October into the very beginning of November. Then those movies stop coming out because then you have Thanksgiving, which is going to be one of your big releases. And then, of course, you have your more family-friendly movies Christmas. at Christmas. Yep. And then you have what's called the dumping ground, which is January, January, February, which is where they dump movies like 300. And then they say, how come that movie made so much money? Because it's a rated R movie. And you didn't understand that rated R movies can make insane money now. But now we already know that it's backing up into almost the end of March where now blockbuster season starts where like you're, you know, Godzilla versus Kong and like, you know, your whatever's your Spider-Man's and whatever, they all can drop them because you need to have your own week. And so as that, that, you know, that window gets smaller for the genre movies and smaller in the fall, because now it's not a death knell to be released in August. Big movie comes out right. in August. People go to see it. Doesn't matter, yeah. right? I haven't yeah. seen I haven't seen a good movie in a month. Yeah, right. Or a week <laughs> a sometimes. Week. You know, a week, yeah. and that's the crazy part. You just kind of putting things yeah. out. This was different back in the eighties. Uh, I can honestly tell you, they live the poster for they live. Many many video stores had that poster up. The poster of Roddy Piper pulling his glasses down in the right. in the skull. Um, it's it's the reverse of that cover. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. Um, so a lot of video stores had that up. It, it's it's very catching. The 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 aliens as we'll talk about in here. The poster really brought you in. Roddy Piper's name was still a mainstream name. John Carpenter, people loved his Halloween. Mean, Halloween Four was coming out. Carpenter was attached to Halloween. The you know Pete, the thing had become a a cult favorite at this time. Yeah. You know kind of thing. Yeah. Cable was really starting to boom. <clears throat> John Carpenter's movies had a second life on cable. They live. Uh, Big Trouble, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Gravy, that movie was everywhere for a while, right? Prince of Darkness, not as much, even though it's probably the better film. Uh, those movies had a second life. HBO, Showtime, those right. those channels thrived on these kind of movies to put them out there. So, yeah. anyway. Roddy Piper, get the, the, the just to get a little bit more here. Piper's name in the movie is called Nada. Uh, I don't know if that meant anything, but that was just yeah, kind I'll of, talk about that in a second. That was just kind of funny, but he had. The thing at this one, he has his signature look. I mean, he in the movie he looks like Piper from uh, with with the toothpick in his mouth. No, and, that's not to Roddy Piper. The toothpick in his mouth is Razor Ramon. Roddy Piper wore a kilt, Dad. Yes, but, 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 but this Piper, this is this is this is face Piper because he has the big quaffed hair. Oh, face Piper. Okay, yeah, he's a good guy. He's Roddy right, Piper. That, didn't, he, well, see, he, I remember him as a good guy. I don't remember him as a bad guy. He literally was the the main villain for like so much of the early eighties. Okay, I don't remember yeah. that. So, well, 
Well, right. again, it doesn't matter. So his name in the movie is John Nada. And the Nada, of course, refers to nothing because he doesn't give or give his name. He, they call him John, and they call him, him as John Nada. I missed that. Yeah. Well, no, he never says his name is it's Nada. Like, he's credited as Nada, Nada. Um, you know, kind of thing, because he's nothing. And then he's coming. Um, so he's lost his job, and he's now moving out to L.A. to look for work. But he's coming from Denver. Right, kind of thing. Yeah. That's where he's the whole point. But like, he's kind of he's walking. The movie opens with him walking the streets. And like you said, the music is very distinctive. It is clearly L.A. where they're filming some of this. Again, not everything's filmed in L.A., but clearly this was the streets of L.A. and yeah. stuff. Like that. It's not New York. It's not Chicago. It's not Philly. It looks different. So I thought. I thought when in the beginning it was San Francisco. It is. So it's San Francisco, but into L.A. Yeah, yeah, they filmed all out in there to make sure it was as realistic yeah. as possible. Because he's walking down, he's walking down a huge hill, and yes, uh, there there is no hills. No, he's in Frisco, but he he eventually gets to L.A. So the whole point is the movie opens, it's shot in California, it's shot right. realistically. Right. So, um, so John arrives in L.A. While out in the streets, he sees a street preacher warning that they have recruited the rich and powerful to control humanity. Uh, Nada takes a job in a construction site and prevent, befriends fellow construction worker Frank. Who that's uh, that's uh, Dave, Keith David. David. It's Keith David, uh, and they where am I going? Um, da, 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 who leads him to a shanty town soup kitchen and its leader Gilbert? Now, that I got to tell you this: that shanty town it, it looked real, uh, mm-hmm. and, and it could very well have been because uh, either that was one hell of a set piece, and but it was I don't think it was above Carpenter to help out. You know, no, he did shanty towns. Okay, so this is what he did. So he went to. The homeless and so like he hired them all to be extras in the right. movies. Yep. He gave them all paychecks. He fed them all every yep. day and every scene they needed him in. This he goes. These are the real people. So Carpenter, knowing we always talk about this, why build a set when you have something real? Why you want it to look authentic? There's nothing more authentic than the actual thing. He went and hired many, many homeless people right. to work in his movies. He did the same thing in Prince of Darkness when he needed homeless people. He got homeless. Now one of the homeless people is Alice Cooper playing a role, but like he went and got people to do that. Why? Because it one helped out people. He could help. It gave authenticity what it was. It made, you're like, that person looks homeless because they were. And, you know, did it mean they got, you know, a couple hot meals and during the day, did it mean they got paid and whatever? Yeah. And that's one of the things he, he definitely would do. Um, so, and the shanty town, it's kind of funny. Um, we talk about this, uh, when we talk about, um, I don't remember. I don't remember. I forgot what episode it was. It was on the vault. We were talking about Times Square. Um, it was a uh, basket case. We're talking about Times Square and how it's changed and whatever. And I said, well, the problem is that what you don't notice is you don't see poverty. You don't see these things anymore because cities have now kind of whitewashed this stuff over. And you have to go to places like Baltimore or into Washington, D.C. And you go to the park and you're like, "Are you? what is going on with this? And it's literally thousands of tents set up and they've taken over the park. I said, and you see that you see this in Carpenter. I said that at the time, you see it in Carpenter's They Live, the shanty towns, the the, the tent towns, the things that kind of were disappearing. I mean, there was a lot of homelessness and a lot of people, job loss. I mean, we're talking about job loss even as early as like Mr. Mom in 1982 with, with, you know, the loss of the car industry. Like Detroit, like, I mean, uh, um, oh, I forgot the name of the movie where she breaks, they break in it. I, anyway, so I'll come to me in a second. But they break into the guy's house and he's blind and he traps them in the basement, remember, whatever, oh, yeah. right? And because they show Detroit and they show that, 
it's hard because when you, you don't live in those places, you don't know these things. People might look at this movie and say, this isn't real. Yeah, it was. This no. is what L.A. looked like. Well, you know, the thing is, that's, that's the, I think that's the, this is not a monster or a horror movie. Uh, it has subtle undertones that are, that were real for the day. Mm -hmm. Remember who the president was at this time? It was Ronald Reagan. And what he talked about was something called trickle-down economics. And what trickle-down economics meant was that the rich should get as rich as possible so that they can trickle down the, the wealth to the poor. Well, what happened is, is that the rich got richer and the trickle down only got to the upper middle class. And if you were, if you were in the lower middle class and in the, and, in, and, and, and mm -hmm. below, it was abject poverty. The eighties, unless if you were working, you were fine, but believe it or not, you, if you weren't working, this was, this, this yeah. scenes here were happening in hundreds of cities, right. not, not just the, the outskirts. I mean, Jason mentioned Detroit. Cleveland was like that. Denver was like that. And to some extent, New York was like that because what was, if you would, if you walk down, if you were in New York on the Lower East Side in the 80s, uh, you had to, you had to be careful of if you were wearing mm -hmm. good sneakers because yeah. you might not have them. Right. And so th that's, that's what this movie, I think, is, is really all yep. about. And that's why, that's why this movie was so criticized at the time. Because people are like, oh, but John Carpenter, he's got to make a movie with a monster in it, make it whatever. None, there is no Carpenter movie, right? I mean, good Carpenter movie. Let's, just, let's, let's not escape from L.A. out of this entire conversation because that movie's garbage, right? No good John Carpenter movie is about what's on the box, right? The thing is not about an alien. It's about us versus them. It's about the evil outside and right. can you trust yourself. It's about paranoia. It has other parallels, right? Even, even you know, um, like Halloween, About it's about the, the evil that exists. And what it's, it's all these different things. It's telling old stories and concepts that might not be pleasant in a way that is. Escape from New York is the same thing. You know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 right. not, it's distrust of the government. It's all those things like that. It's the same thing George Romero does in his dead movies. But no, those movies, Jay, are about zombies. Yeah, they are about zombies. You're one of them. That's what it is. Like, everyone's different. That's the whole point, is that Carpenter's telling a story. Yes, does it involve aliens who are controlling your mind? Yes. But how are they controlling your minds? Well, that's what we're going to talk about, the idea that, like, they're controlling your minds through media. And literally, he was making a, a, a social, uh, you know, a, a state, statement about the the social economical impact that it's having on everyone. All right, so let's get going. We're, yeah. we're, we're not even really only in it. Oh, so uh, he meets Gilbert. Okay, that night, a hacker takes over the television broadcast and claims that scientists had discovered signals that were enslaving the population and keeping them in a dreamlike state, and that the only way to stop it was to shut off the signal at its source. Those watching the broadcast complain of headaches. Uh, Nada secretly follows Gilbert and the street preacher into a nearby church, was cross street, and um, discover that the meeting with a group um, that includes the hacker. He sees the scientific equipment and cardboard boxes inside, and hears Gilbert worrying that Hoffman, the, the Hoffman lenses, excuse me, that made uh, they made won't be enough without strong people to help them. Uh, and then Nada discovered that uh, is discovered by the blind preacher, and then he escapes. All right, so. When they go across the street to the, the church, and the church is letting them use the kitchen, and that's how they're you know able to cook for everybody. And again, everyone has to have a. And they even said to him, "You you have tools, you know how to use them. Great, that shower wall needs fixing. Like right. it's all about taking care of each other." 
And that's a lot of the commentary about the fact that um, in this, uh, you know, in this shanty town that like you provide what you can, you know, some have none, some have whatever. And, and it's, you see children, you see adults. Again, these, these are, they're not actors. These are real homeless people kind of thing. Right. And this very well might've been shot at an actual shanty town. I mean, it I, looks a hundred percent real. I believe it had to be. And if it's not real, it is one of the best set dressings I've ever seen. And what happens is now you get to the scenes where they're watching the television. They have hooked up with the antenna, right? And they start getting headaches whenever the signal goes off yeah. because what's happening, once the signal is broken, you're getting just the, the, the hacker talking. They're like, man, this hurts my head. Yeah. That, that was, that happens about 12 minutes in. And it's the, really the first plot exposition in the movie that the, the hacker is saying the world's not safe. And by the way, the movie scene that's on the TV when he's not hacking it is the monolith monster. Yes. Well, that's what they flipped to after. Yeah. Right. They had, they had the commercial on and they flipped to the monolith monsters, monsters. Uh, you know, and I was like, Oh, I know that. So, um, which and is features thing, giant rocks falling on people. Right. So. And, the, and the thing, Piper here, I mean, again, the, the, the criticism that he's not a good actor, it's probably true because in this, to the entire movie, he's more of an observer than he is, than he is a, a, a talker. He doesn't say much, but one thing he does a lot of is walking. He's walking in his, with his, with his jeans and his, and his flannel shirt, sure, yeah. and but that scene after scene after scene, it's almost like they said, okay, uh, we don't want you to talk. walk down this street or walk down this. Oh. But I mean, it was it got it got kind of as I'm watching this, I'm saying, why are they doing? It's a little repetitive yeah. to have him because you're killing 15, 20 seconds of yeah. just showing wow. him walk, walk, walk. Yeah, I think they're showing too that he's, you know, it's just that he's. He's not 100% comfortable in what's going on. He's still looking, trying to find how things fit in. I mean, he's, he's interested in what's happening at the church because he's like, oh, what's going on there? And that's where he finds the, 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 the hidden room with the sunglasses in right. it. But he, or here's another sunglasses. He's at the, the boxes. And it all just kind of seems like he, see, he feels like something else is going on. Well, he's he not sure yet. When he opens the box. Well, no, the box, that's still later. He didn't open the yeah. box now. Yeah. He walks oh, by all the lenses, lenses being made and yeah. stuff like that. But we don't know that's what's in the box because he, he finds the hidden boxes. Right. So there's the boxes that are out, and then there are hidden in stuff, book. you know, in the back. So that night, uh, the shanty town and church are destroyed in a police raid, um, and the hacker and the pre and the preacher are beaten by the police. Now that's where he saves the the young kid, and they run into right. the building. I mean, it's a lot of them just getting away. I mean, that that whole sequence takes like two minutes. And I, you, you know, and you wonder now, did they build? I mean, they. I'm I'm sure that. That the police that this didn't happen for real. At least, at least I hope it didn't. No, I would. Well, I'm not saying yeah. that didn't that stuff didn't happen. Yeah, I'm just hoping it didn't happen here. So that's why I'm wondering if what we some of the stuff was shot was the real shanty town, or if they built that up. Yeah, or yeah. they built the, the okay, they built because it happens up when the police night. when the police get through. It happens at night, and they you they, don't see everything. Yeah. They, again, just like a lot of things, they could be going down the same hundred feet of 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 uh, yeah. shanty town. Over and over again, just by re redressing it. Right. But what I found that scene to be, I found that scene to be very important, because all of the policemen are wearing face shields. You cannot see your face. It, it, it was almost like that they're invisible, and you know that they're 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 just going in to get rid of the the, the vermin. Well, the problem is, is that they're being told that they need to go do this, but the reality is that the that the aliens are controlling the police force. Right. So we don't know who's a, who's a cop and who's an alien. And they, well, they're all police officers, but we don't know who's an alien, who's human in this whole thing. 
And that's one of the problems in this movie is that until you can see, you don't know who's right. with you and who's not. Yeah, and the TV shows that that are on the television are uh, what they basically what they're doing. They're showing the good life, and then they're showing the destitution on the streets. Yes, yeah. So, um, and then so then after that's done, um, uh, where were we here? So. Okay, so that night, so uh, they destroyed them. Okay. The following day, Nada retrieves one of the boxes that he there, and it's the hidden box in the back. He pops up in the wall where he knows it's there and takes the box, and he takes it to a garbage can, kind of like you know, kind of like trying to you know not get noticed. Again, a lot of this movie is him trying to be just blending in. The problem is, and again, Piper is not Hogan. He's not six eight. He's not whatever kind of thing. like. But he's a still a big dude. Oh, and when he has you know, his shirt off, he's he's pretty well. He's put together pretty right. well. But I'm saying, but he's still a big dude. Yeah. So he's trying to be inconspicuous on the street and blend in. But he's much bigger than most of the normal human beings walking around. So you already stick out. So he's trying to act like he's acting like someone who doesn't want you to notice him. Right. Right. So he goes there and he opens up the box and he sees there's sunglasses and he can't believe there's sunglasses. He goes, "Well, this is what they're risking their lives for." He takes one pair with him. And he puts the others in the garbage and he kind of like hides it because he's right. back for, right? So he puts, so this is the first time he, he puts the sunglasses on, right? Um, so he takes a pair of sunglasses and, um, he, and he discovers that the sunglasses make the world appear in black and white, but they reveal all the subliminal messages in the uh, media to obey, consume, uh, reproduce, and inform. Now, hang on one sec. Everybody who is listening to this, I'm assuming you are not listening to this podcast because you're like, I've never heard of They Live or whatever. The the mainstream people who would never be caught watching one of these movies have seen all of the images in this movie because the image of Obey and the color splits and the like whatever, literally graffiti, there's a whole mm. series of graffitis and stuff based on the idea of Obey, consume, whatever. This movie is so influential beyond the scope of just being a carpenter movie. We'll talk more about that as we go, right? This film hits on so many different things that would later become more important because, again, like every other carpenter film, it's poignant at the time it's made. Most critics hate it. People denounce it. The real fans love it. It becomes a cult movie. And then down the road, someone says, hey, this stuff is really still going on. Hey, this guy said that eight years ago or nine years ago or ten years ago. It's like, yeah. yeah. And that's part of the problem. The glasses also reveal that many people are actually aliens with a skull-like face um, and these kind of diamond-looking eyes. Like, they're kind of, they look like gemstones. I shouldn't say diamond, but they kind of have diamond eyes to them. Um, and this is when the movie takes a turn. Yep. Because now you're like, so now he's like, he's, he's kind of confused. Like, what, what's going on? Yeah. And that's when he's reading the magazine and it's nothing but just subliminal ads throughout the whole thing. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that was, that, to me, that was important. I said, this was the big reveal. You know, things aren't what they seem to be. And as Jason mentioned, there were dozens of different sayings that all either either conform, no thought, or stay no asleep, thought, marry and reproduce. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, that, and that's that's the thing for like the Bahamas and the shows Bahamas, a woman on yeah. it. Yeah, and the thing is, I, the, I, when I when I saw this, I said, Jesus, this is this is Orwell's 1984, mm -hmm. right? And the, even the wall of magazines has dozens. As dozens more, I mean, cooperate, doubt humanity and money. That this is your god, yeah. and that to me is what I said. This is nineteen. This is the eighties. Yeah, the rich get richer, yeah. and money is money is key. Without money, 
Right. And that's, that's part of, right. That's part of the problem though, with this, I think people have with this film is because I think it hit too close to home yeah. uh, for some people and people don't like a mirror. They, they say they want to have a mirror held up and see what's going on. But they don't really want to do that. They don't want to see the good things. They don't want to see the bad things. They don't want to see the stuff. And horror is, and, and again, this is not technically, I mean, this, I guess, falls in the horror sci-fi world, but the horror movie is truly what holds the mirror up. And it makes people look at things they don't want to see. It makes people realize things they don't want to realize. And people hate that. People hate that. Yeah. They hate seeing those things. Why Why are people like Carpenter and Wes Craven and George Romero revered now, um, where at the time they were vilified? And, you know, but like someone like Wes Craven, I mean, Wes Craven has shown people things they don't want to see. Again, I'm not talking about Freddy Krueger necessarily, you know, with his wisecracks and stuff. But people didn't want to under didn't want to believe that like you could have evil in the world that this happened or whatever kind of thing. Carpenter is always trying to show you something more. Romero made, I mean, it's not even like subtext in his movies; it's text. Like literally, when you get to Land of the Dead, I know it's many years later. The rich people all live in the giant high rise with walls running. All the poor people live outside. Right. And what happens? The zombies get in. And the rich people are like, what? What do you mean? And they don't look at the zombies as being zombies. They're looking at them as just the lower class. And yeah. that's all that we get in, in a lot of these films. Now, here, what happens is that when he when he gets this re he, the reveal, I mean, he realizes that the humans are, that you, some of these humans are not human, but not all. I mean, yeah. it looks like you can become a disciple of the, of the aliens. Well, okay. So I th see this, th th he not quite to that realization yet. He starts, no, no, he starts no, getting there but in he a just sees, But again, when you see, he's looking at, when he looks at all... There's a handful have the are, are aliens and half of them are, right and, are, and, and are they all look normal right and he, but then he has but he says to the one woman well, yeah. this is a good line here he goes uh, he calls us he calls the woman uh, from, uh, from algaide face in the grocery store yeah and uh, she says and this is where it says I've got one that can see yeah and then she talks right into her wristwatch and this is the important part so yeah, as he's mocking the woman in the in the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, uh, she turns. She turns away. I have one who can see. Nada leaves, and of course is then confronted by two alien cops. He kills them and steals their weapons. Now he knows that they're aliens. They're not actual humans. In this movie, and we'll talk about it at the end. Nada only ever kills one human. He only ever kills one human. He might hit somebody who's not a human, but he will only kill aliens. And it's very clear that he has. He's not going to kill humans. He's not a murderer. Right. But he's killing the people who are trying to enslave them. Um, he takes their weapons. And I love that he kind of just backs into the bank as if it's like by accident, which I think it is. Because he, he turns and goes, oh. And like he's now standing in a bank with a shotgun and the police baton and everything else. Um, and this is where he sees several of the employees and customers are aliens. So this is where he, the, the most famous line in this entire movie. He says, I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble, bubble gum. gum. I have I have a shirt with that on it. I've worn that shirt to school. It says on the back, right? Was, was uh, that one of his lines? In, in, in no, it was a line he had in a book. So oh. he, okay, so what happened was he had a he had a notebook he used to carry with him, and he'd write things down for for interviews, and he never got to use it. So on the on the set, there's a different line. So he said, let me improvise a line. So Carpenter's like, go for it. That's the line he improvised. And Carpenter goes, that's amazing. He goes, I know. I never got to use it in a, in a, in a promo. See, so I, I want to use it. I could have sworn. No, he I never said that. See what I mean? It has been ripped off a million times. You know, you know how you get, you know, he said, misremember. Yeah. I would have sworn that he said that, you know, as he was climbing in the ring. He, 
No, but he, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm no, sure later he might have. Yeah. After the movie, because it becomes ripped off and used everywhere else. So this is when he he kills several <clears throat> aliens with a shotgun, and he escapes by taking the uh, he escapes out the back door, and he goes into the garage where he takes uh, Cable Fifty Four employee Holly Thompson hostage. Now, Hal Holly, of course, is Meg Foster um, with the very distinguishing eyes. I mean, you can't miss her. Um, kind of thing. The uh, at Holly's home. Nada tries to uh, explain to her, try to try in the glasses. Uh, but that's when she knocks him clean out the window, and I'm like, oh, my Lanta. So some stuntman took that bump. And they, they went in the specials. Uh, he actually does fall out the window and falls into uh, a big, uh, like, I'll call it a pillow. But it's a, yeah, it's, it's a catch, it's, yeah, a catch yeah, pillow. Yeah, yeah. But he still went out the window. So someone out that window um, and rolls down the hill, and she calls the cops. Um, so... At this point, you know, we've kind of now seen, so obviously, uh, you know, Nada can now, he understands that there's, you know, whatever's going on. Now, he needs the glasses still to see, but he's now desperate to try to get back and get um, the rest of the sunglasses, you know, kind of thing, so he can start showing other people. So he goes to get the sunglasses, and of course, the, the garbage is in the garbage truck, and that's when he hops in the back of the garbage truck, and they lift the thing, and all the garbage comes pouring out. No, the thing is, he, he hops into the back of the garbage truck. But why does the when when the guy climbs into the into the because uh, 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 what he does is he opens, he opens the he back. Op- and he climbs in right. but uh, but the guy who's the garbage driver he gets into the truck why would he then press the button to make the garbage fall out I no because he doesn't know the back's open I don't know why you would want your truck you would want your load to I don't know. I, I, I don't understand how... I mean, it's an effective scene. Because yeah. Oh, it's, it's great because all the garbage... He's and he falls out over the street. But I just don't understand why that happens there. But still, it, it makes it effective. Because then Frank... Um, okay, so before that happens, he goes and he's, he tries to... Um, so when he tries to he tries to you know, convince Frank to come with him, Frank tells him to get lost. So Frank shows up and... Get, and the, so the best scene there is he throws the money... Because it's a week's pay, the best can do. It hits right in the box. It goes right into the box. It doesn't miss. It hits in the box. And I'm like, man, you know they shot that. No, 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 no takes. That's the only take we need. They didn't get the line right. It doesn't matter. It's the best take because it went right in the box. Yeah, but and later on in the fight, the money's on the floor. Because it falls out of the it box. Yeah. yeah. But what I'm saying is when he throws it, it goes right in the box. Um, and then he, Nada tries to get Frank to put on the glasses. And then uh, Frank thinks that Nada's a murderer and that he wants nothing to do with him. He's going to protect his family. They have an insanely long fight. Yep. It uh, to the movie's ninety four minutes. I think it's close to one tenth of the film's running time. It's it's almost it, it goes on for it more than five like, minutes. Well, according to according to the to the specials, it was between five and six minutes actual actual screen time. Uh, but it took them. It took well, it took forever. It took forever for them yeah. to do it because of all the the yeah. the. The, 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 whole, the whole scene goes on for about nine minutes. The fight yeah. itself is six and a half right. of those oh, no, minutes, yeah, right? The whole scene, right? Yeah. Um, so he finally gets in the. Uh, he, fi- he finally. I mean, they, they kick each other in the groin. They punch it in their face. I mean, the back of what do you call skulls all ripped. I mean, they're a mess, right? He finally gets the sunglasses on them, and they can then see all the aliens. Now Frank can see as well. Um, and what happens is they see the flying saucer. They see whatever, like you know. There's, there's a lot of lines in here. Piper delivers lines like he's giving a promo. And like one of the lines he says, um, you know, he puts the glasses on and there's that little thing flying over. He goes, oh, 
oh, and he goes, you know, who are you? And then whatever, and he flies over and he goes, um, Mama doesn't like tattletales. And he shoots it out of the air. And what happens, he's then ducking pieces that he couldn't see but are actually hitting him. You know, because they, they're, well, not, not really hitting him. You know what I'm saying? But it's like little things like that throughout yeah, the movie. Yeah. And right after the fight, when, when, uh, when Frank realizes that what he's been told is the truth, um, uh, you know, he has, he has the line that he says to Frank, while he's got him in the head, like he goes, life's a bitch. And she's back in heat. Yeah. And so, yeah. and that, and now the movie even takes another turn here because now the action gets ramped up. Right. So we've gone from like, okay, so we, we've established who these people are. Now he knows, now Frank knows, and now they got to figure out how they're going to do this. So Frank and uh, Nada, they go to the hotel and they crash out in the hotel because they need to kind of, and again. Well, they need to clean up for one thing. Well, they walk <laughs> in, but none of the people in there are. It's all the homeless and, right. and the lower. So there's no aliens there. And the two of them, he, the two of them are leaning into the desk, and he says to the clerk, "I need a room." And he looks at the two of them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're bleeding all over the place too. Um, so uh, and that's where they they find they meet Gilbert in there, who leads them to a meeting of the anti-alien movement. At the meeting, they are given contact lenses to replace the sunglasses, which makes a lot more sense because right. now they can walk around with uh, no sunglasses on. And they learn that the aliens are using global warming to make the Earth more like their own planet and are depleting the Earth's resources for their own gain. Now, this sounds a lot like um, we would get this idea many, many times other things. Um, in Chronicles of Riddick, they go to planets and they terraform the entire planet and they right. use up all the resources and then move on. It also showed up in Independence Day and it showed up in like how many other movies? So this concept may not be technically, you know, new I mean, I'm not saying Carpenter didn't use it for like, this might be the first time it's really used in this kind of sense here. But we've seen that idea happen in the 60s and 70s and stuff as well. But it's just different, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's But it's used here. It makes a lot of sense. Instead of it being an alien race that looks completely different from us, which they do, they've now hidden among us. And they're they're hidden among us, but they're not hidden among us like just everyday people. They're the most rich and powerful people who are trying to influence everything you do. Um, and this is why a lot of this stuff still rings true today. And we'll talk more about that in a sec. Um, they also learned that the aliens had been bribing humans to become collaborators, promoting them into positions of power. And this is part of the issue here is that um, there's a lot of money to be made doing this stuff. And if you want to be rich and they talk all about that, like the money is the power, the dollar is power. And that's all they want to do is be rich. And so many people are willing to throw in with them, um, you know, and, Again, I know, you know, there's, you want to read deeper into this, this has, this, this goes back to World War II, this goes back to the Revolutionary War, it goes back to anything you can think of where there's an enemy who's willing to, like, people are willing to turn their backs on their own kind to help someone out because they think they can, it'll help them. It's not pleasant, but it's true. But, you know, you have to, you have to think deeper here because think about when, when, when you, when you have the, the critics uh, pick a movie and they start talking about it, it could be. King Kong, right? Mm -hmm. Well, King Kong, what they're talking about is Jesus Christ on a cross. Well, yes. I mean, no, 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 I'm saying, but that's, that's, that's your interpretation. But this movie, this is, this is a movie that makes you think about social issues and, yeah. and what the hell social is going on. Special. But what, that's not what the, that's not what Carpenter had in mind wow. when he was putting it out. Because okay. if he says, I got a social movie about what's going, nobody would go to see it. No. But uh, underneath, the 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 alien invasion is yeah okay but the thing is when Carpenter makes his movie and and, and same for Craven and Romero and everybody else although that like of 
they put stuff in on purpose that is there to make you think, think because right. they know that none of, I mean, again, would it be great if your movies made billions of dollars as soon as you open them? Yeah. But these people kind of knew by this time, by this, by 88, he already knows the movies he's going to make are going to make their money or not make their money in, in, uh, you know, the movie theaters, they're going to make their money by people watching it over and over again. And if your movie is boring or doesn't right. make you think you don't watch it a second time. Well, so. I mean, think about Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Great, great movie. Unbelievable. First time I can I can remember that I was just enthralled in quite a long time watching a movie. The underlying things that don't fool with Mother Nature because you're liable to right, you yeah. know, you're liable to end the world. Yeah. Right. No, of course, Dad, but I'm saying, but it's it's one of those things that there's not it's not that uh, you know, the concept there is kind of more on the nose. It's pretty much right there in front of you. Like yeah. when you see Jurassic Park, you're kinda of like, okay, they brought Dinosaur back, they're gonna end bad. Right, you know, kind of thing, and then they make a bunch of movies where, like, hey, remember that other one? Same thing happened, right? Here, there, you don't know going into they live that this is about oh. like this kind of thing, and it, so you, it gets you, and it, but it, it it it's true to what the to what people are experiencing, or maybe aren't experiencing. Maybe they're watching on the news, or maybe they're reading in the newspaper that this stuff happens, and it's like, well, that's not me, that's them. And Carpenter loves the me and them. He loves the idea that, like, well. I'm this, but you're that, and you're the other. You're the different, and that's what he's exploiting here. That the other, the the alien, has come in, and they've now taken over. So we are now the other. We are now the you know what the the vermin. We're now the expendable, not not the the other. Uh, so we're Holly arrives at the meeting and apologizes to Nada with information on the source of the signal. The meeting is raided by the police, and the vast majority of uh, people are killed. The survivors include Frank, Nada, and uh, Holly. I mean, your three big stars need to get out of there. Um, right. Everybody else dies. Yeah, they got to get okay. away. In, right. Even when they're in direct line of fire from ten guys with machine guns. Well, okay, but you got to. But again, no. But that you happens. Get, you gotta, that, yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, usually, when 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 one of the stars gets wounded, that's a that's a big surprise. But here, it, it obviously. Well, he they, does. They, I mean, he gets shot in the leg, and yeah. so anyway. So uh, where are we here? Uh, blah 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 blah. Um, okay, Nada and Frank are cornered by the police, and they actually they, they have one of the watches. They actually accidentally activate the watch and open a portal, and then they're able to jump through the portal. So now they understand how they get it. Were I mean, that, that's a pretty neat way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's but and it's totally different because yeah. you're like, what are they going in the subway in the sewers? No, they're in the underground yeah. where you can't get to without an opening. That, you can't open that yeah. opening. The portal takes them to the uh, the alien spaceport where they just okay. So they discover. Um, meeting of alien and cloud. Okay, so they go down there, and they're walking around and whatever, and they run into one of the home. There, there's this dinner. Right. This dinner looks like a big old gal, and I'm like, they really stick out as not supposed to be there, right? Because they kind of, you know, they're bleeding and they're. Well, yeah, the homeless guy says, you know, I thought you should have. You might have wanted right. to trust. But, but that was after they met yeah. him. And, you know, you know, and again, it's one of the homeless guys they they know is a human. They've met before, and the problem is, what happens is now that everyone there. It, the vast majority are humans, but there are aliens with them. And humans are now either married to aliens or it's right. all part of this. They've been accepted into their society um, of the, the, the rich elite. And the the, uh, the speaker, the main speaker uh, up on the podium, this kind of funny. This is 1988. The movie comes out. He goes, he goes, uh, we should have Earth conquered by 2025. Yeah. And here we are in 2021. Yeah. That's well, a, well, you got four years. Yeah, we, we, we got we're Okay. Um, and of course now, uh, so they go in through, so they, they approach by the, the, the now, okay. So they approach right again. 
uh, celebrating the elimination of terrorists, the quote-unquote terrorists, of course, here, uh, the meaning the, the humans who are the resistance. Uh, they're approached by the former drifter, now a collaborator, who gives him the tour of the facility. He leads him to the basement of Cable 54 and the source of the signal, which is protected by armed guards. Um, this is where they kind of like, hey, I want to check it out. And like, they, and, and Nada and Frank um, kill the guards. And of course, it's soundproof. And now they're going to go through the building, right? So they find Holly on their way to the transmitter on the roof. Now they're going through. And this is, again, another perfect example of this. Nada only kills aliens. If the person's human, even if they have a gun, he doesn't shoot and kill them, right? Now, the thing is, the security there are all aliens, so it makes it a lot easier to keep shooting people, right? Um, and now, now they're on their way to the roof. Now, they write, they, so they're going to go up to the roof, right, to the transmitter, and that's when Holly pulls a gun out and just shoots Frank, just in the head, and you don't see it. You don't see it. Right? She puts a gun to his head, and you're like, oh, my God, you're going to kill him. And you're like, okay. And that is so Carpenter, Right? He, the last, you're thinking like, okay, well, Frank's going to get to the roof with them. They're all going to work together to get this done because it all is leading you to believe, even if you don't trust Holly, Frank will get there. He survived the whole movie. You know, not all get there. Nope, they kill Frank. Yeah. And they pull the carpet right off underneath you right there. And what, of course, happens then is, uh, you know, they're on the roof. And this is when Holly reveals that she's, a, uh, you know, she's part of the, you know, the, the collaborators with them. The, there's the helicopter with the machine gun coming at them. Um, Nada then kills Holly. The only human he kills in the entire movie is her, but she's also turned her back on everybody. So, right. You know. The only thing about that, though, you, you not when Nada is killing, when he's shooting his guns off, the the uh, the guards that that he kills, even at a distance, they still have their human face. They don't have the alien face because we're not looking through the the alien eyes. The whole point is, yeah. is that in the movie, he makes a point of saying he's not killing, he, I'm not going to kill any humans. Right, but he has the lenses in his so eyes. So he can see that they're aliens. Yeah. That's the whole point. But we can't. No, no, we well, can't. Um, well, because it makes it also a lot cheaper, Dad, to not have to do all no, those no, no, makeup no, effects. I, I, just saying. No, I agree. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so Nada kills Holly, and then he sh shoots a transmitter. Um, but then he's shot by the aliens in the helicopter. And as he dies, he gives them the middle finger, right? Because right. why then, not? You know? Um, and then the transmitter destroys and all the humans all over the world. Now, this is the, I love the end of this movie when it explodes and all of a sudden it's like, what, what's the matter? And like everyone now, the aliens can be seen and the humans are like, what's going on? Like the mass hysteria that, you know, just unfolded. And the great part about the, the, I mean, there's a scene, of course, it's Carpenter. So you have to have, you know, a lady with no top on right at the right. very end. Right. You know, you save the nudity for the very end. But of course, she's like, what's up, baby? And it's like, oh, my God. She just starts screaming because he's, you know, completely an alien. And the newscasters are alien, which reminds me, of course, the end of the howling. howling. Mommy, the, the, the news lady's turned into a werewolf, you know, and it's just Carpenter, of course, sends you out there. He can't, you know, he's not going to send you out with nothing, but he, um, you know, there are there are so many political elements, um, you know, really kind of touching on a lot of, um, you know, the, the stuff with Reagan, the, the Reagan economics and all that yep. stuff like that. It's just so um, the, the, the there was a lot of actually um, some people tried to read into it like a neo-Nazi and like white supremacist part of it. And he Carpenter has very adamantly said that's not right. true. None of that is there. That was just people trying to put their own stuff on there. He's saying he, he came out and very openly said this is about reaganism it's about reagan economics it's about the state of the, the world we're in it's about the united states the job loss about all those things very open and honest about that stuff 
Um, and of course, uh, during the movie, um, you know, kind of thing, um, like I said, the movie was originally based on eight, 8 o'clock in the morning by Ray Nelson, which was actually from 1963. It was actually in the magazine of fantasy and, uh, and science fiction. So all the way back to 63, this idea that aliens were invading kind of along the lines of invasion of the body snatchers, right, yeah. kind of thing. But instead of invasion of the body snatchers, they just take over your life. Now they're going to run everything. They're going to they, like so. Isn't that think about invasion of the body snatchers, the original, right? It wasn't about like they, they're going to take over your life. You know, people were worrying about like because invasion of the body snatchers is of course you know um, symbolic of like um, communism and the red scare and the whole everything else, right? So people were worried about losing their identity and losing their self. Here, it's not about losing your identity, losing yourself. It's about the people who are running everything and making you kind of taking it all away. Yeah, I, um, I, 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 I had a little dichotomy here. I wasn't sure whether this was a happy ending or a downbeat ending because it, it is it a happy ending because we've, we, we've exposed uh, all the aliens or is it a downbeat ending because now the aliens and there's, there's a pretty good number of them yeah. on earth. Are they, are they going to, uh, is it going to be a war now, you know, between the aliens and, and the humans? And it, and it seems like the, the aliens have all the money. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, that's what I'm saying. I wasn't sure whether that, and it was, it, and it just, I want to, what I'd like to say is this is kind of, this is just a side. Is I always think of these things, maybe I'm a little weird, but uh, <clears throat> all I could think of was when this movie ended and the, and the credits are rolling was Edmund O'Brien in the, in the wild bunch. He's the, he's the guy who is sitting around the, the, the little, the, the little gathering when, uh, William Holden and the crew come back and they only got was a set of washers and everybody's saying, all we got is a set of washers. They, 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 they chipped us. And Edmund O'Brien says, they, they, who the hell are they? And that, that's as the movie, as the movie's called, that's what I thought about because that's it. Who the hell are they? Yeah. They are, they are the aliens. Yeah. yeah. So, um, obviously, uh, I've mentioned, uh, you know, they, the, influences it has and part of his legacy of this movie um again it's many people kind of um have referenced this uh you know in other places that what what happens here is um so uh shepherd fairly credits this film as a major source of inspiration uh for sh and sharing a similar logo to his andre the giant has a posse campaign it's a that's a graffiti stuff um kind of thing and they live was the basis for my use of the word obey, uh, Farley said, the movie was a very strong message about the power of commercialism and the way that people are manipulated at, by advertising. Um, I ha Again, I have several, I have a couple different shirts. One of the shirts I actually wear to school, I used to wear to school, um, has, it's the picture of the politician on the screen talking and it says obey right up below him and it's the alien. And people are like, oh, I don't, your shirt's weird. And they're like, is, is it graffiti? And I'm like, no, no, this is from a movie that a graffiti artist based stuff off of. And the idea of the obey and even the, the uh, you know, the, the, um, the, all the stuff that went out with that, with, uh, with Chevrolet stuff, um, it has a lot of tie in here because that stuff was so poignant. And so, um, you know, it hit on so many levels that people just kind of, uh, you know, still to this day see and uh, use that stuff. And we see a lot of it in um, art. We see stuff like that in other sources as well, but be that as it may, uh, they live, uh, again, at the time, was a, a success for the first couple of weeks. It made $13 million on a $3 million budget. That's a great return on investment. Um, it was 
in that cycle where Carpenter was making um, Prince of Darkness, and then he made, and, and as along with uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And there's stories to go along with each one of those individually, but that's the kind of thing where some people, uh, depending on your age, were introduced to John Carpenter. They were maybe too young to really have ever seen uh, Halloween, although Halloween became kind of bigger than that. And maybe they were too young to ever to have seen uh, the thing. But a lot of people kind of remember or earmark They Live uh, and uh, Big Trouble in Little China as the two movies that got them into Carpenter. Not so much uh, Prince of Darkness, even though Luke loves that movie. Uh, you know, the, the big, They Live and, and Big Trouble in Little China, because of their mainstream appeal, um, whether it be Roddy Piper and Kurt Russell or whether it be whatever, you know, kind of thing, the fact that um, they they tell whatever their message, their message they're going to tell, although They Live has a much stronger message than Big Trouble in Little China. Um, those movies are a lot of people look at what got them into Carpenter. And then they went back and discovered Escape from New York and discovered whatever. Because to be honest, if you're, you know, if you were like born in 1980, you're way too young to have yeah. like, you know, I mean, we, I mean, we saw them when we were younger, but that's different. You know, most people didn't get into that. And to be honest, it was the home, the, you know, the, the movies. It was it was cable and it was blockbuster. And, you know, there's a whole, you know, something to be said about mom and pop video stores versus blockbuster and stuff. But the one thing blockbuster guaranteed you was, hey, what's the new release coming out? The mom and pop video store spent a lot of money. They got three copies. Yeah. And what happened was they spent three copies, spent $100 per copy to put on the shelf. Blockbuster said to them, hey, let's do revenue sharing. I'll pay you $5 per copy and we'll split the money we take in. So they would have a hundred copies. So whatever the big movie is, I don't know what it would be, right? Let's say Jurassic Park, right? The mom and pop video stores got three copies. They're all out. Oh man, we can't get it. Go to Blockbuster. They got a hundred. They got 150 copies, right? Why? Because you're going to rent every one of them. Every one of them rented at $3 a piece, you know, a dollar 50 or you know, a dollar goes to the studio, $2 goes to them. And it became the biggest chain in the world. And for that reason, I'm trying to remember when, when, when did you see, if you can remember, the thing? Okay, so I probably was five, six years old. Okay. Yeah, but the, the, and, the thing... Because we, we probably rented it. Yeah, no, but, I'm, but here's the difference, though, Dad, is like, okay, so I had friends who never saw anything, and they didn't understand how he watched those movies, but then not be allowed to see, like, Friday the 13th. And I was like, well, because my dad doesn't like the Friday the 13th movie. These other movies are well-made movies, and that has a lot to do with, like, you know, the slasher versus the other stuff. Right. But Luke and I saw things at a much younger age than most people. I mean, Haley's seen the thing, oh, yeah. you know, kind of thing. She watches, but I mean, she didn't watch They Live With Me because yeah. I watched this the other day where they were out. But like, there's nothing in this movie she would be like, oh my God, I can't see. No. And, but, but she wouldn't understand the, the, you know, the, the, the social. Yeah. Thing. She wouldn't get all that stuff. She's much more on the service, which is why she likes Carpenter's The Thing. Because the effects are really cool, and I know how they did that, and that's remote controlled car. Like she knows all the background of it, but she's not understanding that you know the desolation and like the despair and the depression that's crushing to all of them. Because that's not something that she needs at ten years old in her life. But you know, so I'm just saying, there's a lot of people kind of went past those things. The thing was a bomb when it, when yeah. it was the tank. I mean, you can thank ET for that. I mean, because let's face it, with ET was it was the same year, wasn't it? Exactly the same time. Yeah. But how, okay, but ET is the friendly alien that everyone yeah. knew, and uh, shockingly, there was no there was no M and M's or you know Reese's Pieces mm -hmm. tie in to the thing. I think that would be a hard sell. You know, here's the new bloody Reese's. Take a bite. You know, kind of thing. Um, you know, I, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. That it's just different kind of thing. There are a lot of people when they remember the '80s. They remember certain things of it, and it depends on your age. When you're young, 
Like, I remember Raiders of the Lost Ark in the theater. I remember all those. Like, I remember seeing Return of the Jedi because we did those things. Some people didn't see those things in their theater. Some people were much more a TV. Kelly's family was much more a TV thing. Mm-hmm. They watched Dallas and Dynasty and, like, those kind of shows that we would never watch. Yeah. But that's not us, right. right? But they also don't watch the Giants football game. But we watch Giants football game kind of thing. Or it doesn't have to be Giants. It's just be in general football, right? That's not something they do. And because that's just different the ways that their family was different than ours. So some people never saw these things. And when kids got older, even kids my age, born late 70s, so you're 10, 11, 12 years old, now it's the end of the end of the 80s into the early 90s. And you go in, you're like, huh, let's rent a movie. Because remember, renting a movie on a Friday night, that was you go rent oh, a couple movies, you had them for the whole weekend. They're like, let's go get a horror movie. You go to the horror section. And it's like, what? They let, this looks cool. And they just pick it up, not knowing they're going to get social, you know, uh, economical, you know, social commentary. They're looking for something. They're looking for, well, let's be honest. They're looking for a lot of bees, you know, some boobs, some blood, right. you know, kind of thing. Like, you know, so, you know, some monsters, some beasties, whatever you want to go with that, it. Right. And that was where the, the cover art, uh, pay, played a lot. Of course. As, as you would walk in there. And if I remember correctly, you couldn't, as, as a 12 year old, you couldn't go into a blockbuster and rent the movie. You had to be with it with, either with an with adult your, with a card. With so card, usually, yeah. what happened was you would go in, and this was Blockbuster was whoever. Again, I know there's documentaries about this stuff, but whoever decided this was this was the most genius thing possible. The the revenue sharing was the most genius thing. Saying to companies, "Hey, Universal, give us a hundred copies at five bucks a piece instead of five copies at a hundred dollars a piece, same amount of money, and we'll split the money with you because those companies made money hand over fist." Right, but Blockbuster's genius was this. Okay, well, you're gonna have a two-day rental, a three-day rental, or whatever it was on these things, or they cost money, different amounts of money for different amounts of rentals. So if you were gonna go on a Friday night on the way home, and you're gonna grab three or four movies for the weekend, and what was right there by the register, the Pop Secret, because they had a time yeah, with Pop yeah. Secret, you had the, it was the yeah. microwave popcorn, and they would sell you the tub with the extra, you buy extra popcorn, the soda, everything was there. It was all perfectly tied in. A movie theater wants you to go there. The movie theater doesn't care if you like the movie. They just want you to buy the soda and buy the popcorn, right? So Blockbuster knew that you're going to rent this movie. And again, as long as they have it, they're going to keep coming back. They didn't make the movie. They just had the movie. So, But they knew they could upsell you on all the things by the register. So now I don't have to stop at the grocery store and get the Jiffy Pop and stop here and get the, like, it's all there for you. Yeah. And by doing that, by giving you a chance to have a, like a, a, a Friday night at home, I don't have to go to the movies. I don't have to get dressed up, get a babysitter. We can watch this movie together. And Blockbuster definitely pushed the idea that this was a family thing to do. Right. And again. And, but, and well, the, one of the main things was it the, the, the movie industry, uh, wasn't wasn't being impacted that much because these were not first run movies. Well, these no, these had, are all the ones that are these, coming to. These had these are the ones you had seen yeah. eight months before and say, "Hey, I, wow, that thing's hey, I got to show you this movie." Yeah. What well, also led to uh, companies like Disney, who were again and and Full Moon is there, and I'm not taking anything away from them or Empire at the time. The direct to video <laughs> market, like Aladdin two, The Return of Jafar. Never hit the theaters. Man, it was on Blockbuster shelf. And I was like, I love Aladdin. Aladdin too. Let's. And they would just take it yeah. home because once they had your money, whether you loved it or you hated it. Now, if you loved it, you rented it over and over and over again, right? Right. And that's one of the great ideas. That's and when you get right down to it, they even had the the ideas. And once they they owned though that hundred copies yeah. of 
of whatever movie it was. And then they would, once once they had it had it had the rental had petered out, they sold them. That was the I don't want to say it was the impetus, but it was it was a catalyst for me getting all of the well, but, right, all of the okay. movies. See, nowadays have. people don't even think about it. like like what came out like when Soul came out because you can't order it on Amazon because God forbid yeah. Disney and Amazon don't fight. You know, billionaires having a tiff. So I went to the store. Kelly went to the store and she picked up a copy of Soul, right? And we watched Soul streaming, which is another crazy idea. Right, we brought it home, and we have Soul. I have a digital copy now, so I'll have the digital copy forever. I have a Blu-ray, a DVD. That was unheard of because it was a hundred dollars for a VHS. Do I like Terminator enough to spend a hundred dollars? Probably. Do I like Predator enough for a hundred dollars? Yes. Do I want to spend two hundred dollars on two movies? Two hundred dollars, I can get like I can get you know enough Blu-rays to choke a horse. So anyway, um, but that's another story. That's another story for another day. But the idea is that. Um, they Live had a cult following, and it still goes today. They Live can be seen in different aspects of stuff. It's been referenced uh, as far as The Simpsons and Family Guy and all this different stuff. It's referenced everywhere because how important it is. So if you haven't watched They Live, maybe since 1988, go back and watch it again. You will find stuff in this movie that maybe you missed the first time. Maybe you weren't old enough the first time to understand it. But this is the kind of stuff, folks, where you are going to enjoy this film. If you like this type of movies, if you like well-made films, again, you might say, hey, Jay, you know, Roddy Piper is not the greatest actor. Look, there's a lot of people I can point to not being great actors. Schwarzenegger is not exactly right. I mean, again, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, but Stallone's not a great actor in the in the Rambo movies and whatever else, you know, kind of thing. But those movies are made for a reason. This was this is not about a, a, a tour de force acting job by Roddy yeah. Piper. This is about the meaning behind what's happening. Yeah, I would, you know, again, talking to, as a family, this thing would probably have been, I'm sure would it, was, it wasn't rated R. That's it was, sure. it's R. It's R. Oh my God, it's R, yeah. I wonder why. They're shooting people, Dad. There's, oh, okay. no, well, there's well, a bunch, I mean, of, well, bunch of bad words you're not supposed to use. There's, uh, there's, okay, only, there's nudity. There's shooting people. No, there's there's, there's <laughs> The nudity is like five seconds. Doesn't matter. Okay. No, they're shooting people, but you don't see blood. Okay, but he's sh- gunning down police officers who are aliens. Okay. He's gunning them down. This movie is definitely R. Plus, they're swearing in it. Like this, the, the PG thirteen now. Do you got to remember that? There's only a couple of swear words. There's there's more than you think, right? The, the, the PG thirteen now and PG thirteen back then are not the same thing. No, no, that's what I was going to say. It's a, it's nowadays a, on TV you can say the S word, right, you can say that, whatever. That's what like I'm on yeah. regular TV on ESPN, when someone slips and says it, they go, "Well, you can say it once." You know, and morning TV. There was a time when that would have shut a show shut, down. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. What I wanted to say was, I said this movie in today's environment would probably be rated a PG. No, it, no, it's not PG. It would be at PG 13 if they cut back some of the. Sh- you can't show people getting gunned down. Right. You can't show that without I mean, without the blood. But you can watch Law and Order. You don't. TV. No one ever gets gunned down. Yes, they do. No, not the way they. There's there's not a, there's not a shotgun right to someone that's doing it. That, that, the, the problem is this: a PG-13 movie now is nowhere near what a PG-13 movie was back then. They used to let a lot they they, they they let other things go through, things that were more frightening go through at PG-13. Now they they kind of push it. Doesn't matter. The okay, whole well, point is that this movie's rated R, but it's not an R like oh my god, like what are they showing? There's no blood, there's no gore, none of that stuff. So and like the, you know, like we said, the the one shot of the woman topless is very quick. Um, anyway, 
So, all right, folks. So, uh, you always wonder what comes up next. Now, I know I've said on the the episode of the Dark Room, and I've said it here. Uh, we're jumping around like because schedules, things were on schedule, and then things got thrown off schedule, and then things are kind of getting schedules thrown around. So, the next time Dad and I to get together, the plan right now, our July episode is one million years BC. So, think about that. We got Ray Harryhausen and Hammer together. Like, so it's like, it's like the first time someone took chocolate and peanut butter and said, hey, let's try these things together. And they said, woo, we, this sounds good. And, and I can tell you right now is there is always, uh, you know, again, we don't have infinite Harryhausen movies. So we've kind of, you know, slowed down on covering them. But every time we talk Harryhausen, it always brings up lots of great memories. So we were talking 1 million years B.C. Yeah, not 1 million. Not 1 million B.C. With Victor Mature. Yeah, no, we're not talking the old one. We're talking 1 million years B.C. This is the Hammer Project that has uh, Ray Harryhausen on doing special effects. And we'll talk about that for our July episode. That is the plan, anyway, for right now. So I think we're good on this one, Dad? Yes, we right? are. Okay, folks, so like we say, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi, folks. Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti. And search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Giaconetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow.
tomorrow. Will you stop?